0: Hello, church family. It's good to be with you again today, and uh, I hope that you've been doing well, and um, it's an interesting time to be alive, that's for sure. I don't know what to say, except that um, we haven't seen this in our lifetimes, and uh, here we are, and so we have to make the best of it. We have to just trust God. Uh, I'm going to just start right off the bat with just saying that we just need to trust God. It doesn't matter what you think or what it looks like, what you feel like uh, in any time of our lives. And I've preached that many times, but we didn't have a circumstance to really test it. It's kind of like uh, believing that you can jump out of an airplane and believing you can jump out of an airplane and, and saying, Okay, God, I'm ready and, and I can handle anything and my faith is strong and I'm trusting in you. And then the door opens and suddenly it looks so different than it looked with the door closed and with the wind going and all the noise of that plane 10,000 feet plus in the air. And suddenly you need to uh, put your money where your mouth is and jump out of that plane. And that's kind of where we're at. We've been saying we trust God. We're saying, Lord, we're leaning on you and uh, and we're we're looking to your word. We're looking to you for... Guidance in every season of our lives, and then suddenly something like this happens. A time like this comes where we have to really say, We trust you, and now we have to really do it. We just have to trust Him. Um, some of you, your lives really haven't changed a lot because you're in particular fields of work um, for your personal life, but everyone, every single person, has had this time affect. The life and the world around them. And so, um, just to say that again, we're going to have to lean upon God. We're going to have to trust upon God for Him to direct us in this season. That's going to be the biggest thing is direction. Uh, what do we do? I mean, this is a temporary thing we're doing right now. We're just trying to uh, kind of get through. But what are we going to do uh, as this either continues or goes away, but the world looks a little different, and society, the way we do things could be a little bit different. So we're going to need to get God's heart and just to trust Him through that entire process. And so with that said, I just want us to keep praying. Um, I'm really encouraging you as a congregation out there to make time to pray. Uh, You certainly have more time than you used to. Church, So uh, use it wisely. God's kind of given us that as a gift. Um, I don't believe that's why this happened, so that we had time, but we're going to use it wisely and use it effectively. And we should be praying for our leaders and praying for our president, for your governor, uh, praying for all of those making decisions, those making decisions around those leaders and we need to pray that God gives them inspiration, that God gives them ideas uh, to get us through this, and um, and even answers for this thing to come to a complete and total conclusion. And in fact, I just pray that in the name of Jesus, thank you, Lord, for each and every leader that we have, Lord God, over us, from the president down to the smallest nobody, Lord, but making decisions Uh, in this situation. We pray for them, Lord, and we pray, God, that they would use wisdom, not of this world, but, Lord, divine wisdom that you give them supernaturally, Lord, to make decisions for our benefit. And we just pray, Lord, for your church, Lord, for the whole church, the church of the world right now, Lord, that is suddenly uh, has changed and we're asking lord for wisdom we're asking lord how to navigate this time lord we may not be together physically but how uh, should we function as a church and be praying for each other and lord of course always praying for your return and lord that we'd be ready for that day in the name of jesus amen and so i just want you to be wise in this time be spending time with the Lord, and be praying. I just wanted to start by saying that that that's really going to be, uh, when this is all over, something that uh, you're going to look back and say, thank you, Lord, even though it's hard to believe. You will say, thank you, Lord, if you use it wisely and spend that time with Him. Um, With that said, I just want to get into the sermon today. And if you've been Following us along so far uh, in the podcast, then um, then welcome back. If this is the first time you're hearing this, hearing me speak, um, then welcome today. And uh, we're going to just open up His Word. And I'm going to get into just a couple of things I believe the Lord's put on my heart today. Um, but I've been just thinking about this idea that there are they've they've done these pools where they, they go to people at the end of their life and they kind of pull their thoughts and uh, or, or surveys, maybe a better word, but uh, people on their deathbeds and people that are dying. And they've asked them, um, you know, if you could go back, if you could live again, uh, or if you had another chance in certain areas in your life, what would you do? And many of them say the same things, um, The very common one that has even been preached in sermons uh, and and used uh, as a sermon point is to take more risk. And uh, there's validity in that. I get it. I understand it from a human point of view, um, that they wish they had taken more risk and and tried to do more things. And then some will say things like, don't worry about the little things. They realize how the little things in in their life really didn't matter. And to really focus on the things that mattered, and these are good points of wisdom. I'm just meditating the last couple of days on how uh, there's good wisdom in there, and even um, some of them may have been Christians and giving us good wisdom uh, of what to do in this life. But I just I was spending time with the Lord, and I felt like um, there's a there's a, 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 a we're missing a little something there because. They're coming still from a human point of view, even with a head that is uh, white with wisdom, uh, and even with an entire life lived. The person that we're asking is still human. And so we have a human perspective, and it will always fall short of God's perspective. Um, The Word of God really is the only true perspective that we can possibly have and actually, um, Jesus, in fact, besides being uh, the Word uh, of God on, on in paper, Jesus is the Word made flesh. And Jesus actually gave us advice on His deathbed, so to speak. He actually gave us a perspective that was perfect, and it's actually a perspective that we can walk out. In our own lives. And uh, he said many things in the book of John as he was spending his last hours on the earth with his disciples. And I'm going to look at uh, some of those things, um, whether today or in a future one. But he also, right there on the cross, he says these words, his very last words, and um, he says, in Luke 23:46 it says then he shouted father i entrust my spirit into your hands it says and with those words he breathed his last so the word says father i entrust my spirit into your hands And with those words, he breathed his last. So his very last words were, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And if you're listening to this, you might be thinking, okay, well, uh, what's the significance of those words? Um, I don't hear any advice. I don't hear any, you know, life points. Um, But there's actually an amazing uh, picture here of what it truly means to follow God. And it's hard to picture Jesus as following God because we see Him as the Son of God and in fact an equal part of God uh, in heaven for all of eternity. But when He walked on this earth, He walked in submission to His Father. And what He taught us, really through all the Gospels, is that And you can see it in the way that he did things. You can see it the way he treated people. And he even told us specifically that I only do what the Father tells me. I only say what he tells me to say. And Jesus was led by the Spirit of the Lord. And Jesus, right there, he says these words, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And the reason I think they're so significant is because he lived that out from the moment. I don't know what the age was. Maybe it's 12 years old. You know, we have the story that Jesus was sitting, uh, talking with the religious leaders. His parents lost him and they had to go back and find him. And there he is sitting there and talking with the uh, wise of the day about God. Uh, So I don't know if it was then, if it was 12 years old, if it was 5 years old. I don't know at what point um, Jesus realizes he's Jesus, and that's an interesting debate, uh, but not something I want to touch today, but from whatever point that was. Even if it was him laying there in a manger looking up at Joseph and Mary and saying, you know, I know who I am already. I'm in a baby's body, but I'm Jesus, the man Jesus. Uh, We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he entrusted his spirit into the Father's hands his entire life. It was a life that was committed. It was 100% led by God. And that is the best life advice from a deathbed that we could ever get. And I'm not discounting the advice that wise men and women have given us on their deathbeds, but still they are human and it's coming from a human perspective. And I thought the better perspective would be when they get over to the other side and now they're standing before the Lord. And even to to pull their thoughts as as we all stand before the great white throne of judgment, and where everything in your life is laid out, I wonder if they would give us a different perspective. And I bet many of them would say, "Scratch everything I said. It's not that those things don't matter, but in comparison to what I'm about to tell you, it doesn't matter." And it's this: live every second of every day for Jesus. Live it to the fullest for the Lord, not to the fullest of your own completion. Don't live life to the fullest like man says to live to the fullest with doing and filling and, and being and growing. And, and all those things are not bad things to accomplish things and to become somebody are not necessarily bad, but they would tell you, on that side, standing before God, that uh, eternity is suddenly their perspective and our our human life, this human existence, which is finite, but now they're standing in an infinite place. They're going to look and they're going to say, uh, so much of what we do is irrelevant and doesn't matter and we waste so much time doing insignificant things. But to be seeking the Lord with every ounce of energy you, ca- you have, to seek his face wholeheartedly, like the word tells us, and to love God with everything you have, and like Jesus said in the second commandment, love others like that—not just love others as ourselves, but love others like we love God with everything we have, with everything we can, even with every last ounce of blood, sweat, and tears. And I believe that's what they would say. Um, I'm obviously uh, I haven't been. Uh, standing before god uh to see to witness people say those words, but when I hear jesus's words um what I hear and especially when I read through the Gospels and I see his life, I hear a man who was completely and totally sold out, he had no other motive he had he had there was nothing he was trying to do here, there was nothing he was trying to build here, and it was just to be obedient to the Father, and to complete the task that He had. Now, many of us, we say, well, Lord, uh, that's Jesus. He had a specific task. What is my purpose? What am I here for? And I don't think that's an invalid question. I don't think that's a question you can't ask. But the better question to ask the Lord is, Lord, what do you want me to do right now, right this minute? What, how can I please you right now? And now you don't have to ask the Lord, can I have a bowl of cereal if it's morning? Or can I have a cup of coffee tonight? Is it going to be decaf or caffeine? (laughs) We don't need to ask the Lord those questions. That's not what I'm talking about. But Lord, who do you have for me to pray for today? Who can I bless today? Who's in my path today? Lord, what do you want to show me in your Word right now? Lord, is there something you want to say to me? Is there something you want to show me or teach me? Lord, how can I please you? Uh, Is what I'm thinking pleasing to the Lord right now? Is what I'm meditating on pleasing to the Lord right now? Is the anger that I'm harboring inside that no one can see, but I have towards this particular person in me, is that pleasing to you? And as we ask those questions constantly, your spirit inside you is actually growing and dealing with those, those internal things inside of us and the outworking of our lives will look more and more like Jesus on the earth. And so, as we look in the book of Hebrews chapter 10, in verse 5, Jesus is talked about here and says, that is why when Christ came into the world... He said to God, You did not want animal sacrifices or sin offerings, but you have given me a body to offer. Verse 7, Then I said, Look, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written about me in the Scriptures. Then he said, Look, I have come to do your will. Verse 9, He cancels the first covenant in order to put the second into effect. Verse 10 For God's will was for us to be made holy by the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all time. So, Jesus here, uh, that we're talking about in Hebrews chapter 10, uh, was here for a purpose. It was one purpose. There was an uh, animal sacrifice system that had been established to cover our sins. And God was never really pleased with that system. And Jesus came to cancel out that system to become the sacrifice for all time. And the significant point here is that I want to make is that He did something to fulfill what God needed done in the earth. And Jesus did that. Uh, It needed to be done. Jesus did it. But the significant part from the perspective of Jesus, God fulfilled his plan. But Jesus, standing here on the earth, looking back up at the Father, he's saying, I have come to do your will, God. I've come to do your will. And so, he was looking for the Lord's will. Are we asking, Lord, what is your will for my life or in my life? Or this might be you out there. Have you made decisions and then said, God bless what I'm doing? Have you made an investment and then said, God bless this investment? Have you even um started dating someone and say, okay, Lord, this is the person I'm going to marry. Now, Lord, bless them. Are we asking the Lord His will in each part of our lives, at every stage of our lives, before we make decisions? Not asking the Lord His will after we've already made the decision for Him. And Jesus, I believe, lived this way. That's why when He said, I entrust my spirit into your hands at the very last breath, it was a commitment to what he had already been living all along then and, and obviously there's a supernatural part i just want to make a note that the uh, obvious thing that he was doing there as well was physically um leaving the earth for a moment his body was going to get lowered down off that cross and put into a grave and his spirit obviously was taken by god and rescued out of that body and uh and that was he's he's the Bible says is the first of the resurrected. And then obviously we know that he put his spirit back into that body and resurrected the body with it. So that's the other side of it. But what Jesus was saying on a on a on a spiritual sense is that uh when you do that, Lord, when you take my spirit and you rescue it right now out of this body that there that man is killing. Um, I'm just doing what I've always done, which is trusting in you. I'm leaning on you. I'm not making my own decisions. I'm leaning on the Spirit of the Lord. I'm being led by the Spirit of the Lord. And it doesn't matter that I'm nailed to this cross. I trust you. It doesn't matter that it looks so grim. It looks like the enemy has won right now. But I'm trusting in you. And I know it's hard for us to picture Jesus, the Son of God, as one that's trusting God but he truly did he truly trusted God and i there's i don't want to keep going down that road for today but you can actually study out how uh Jesus was completely and totally 100% submitted to God the Father and uh the Holy Spirit that the that the three uh parts of God were were one and submitted and working in unison um uh, Jesus being the reflection of God on the earth for us and doing what God directed and uh so I believe that Jesus had total dependence on God and honestly that's the same thing that we need to have today I believe this time uh is a gift and it's a uh a horrible thing that's happening uh, on the earth, and many, many horrible things will happen. That's just part of living on this fallen world. We are in a fallen state. God did not do it. Sin did it. Uh, sin brought about the, the separation from God and also brought about a life that is filled With heartache, with trials, and with troublesome times, and calamities, and things from outside the earth, things from inside the earth, volcanoes and earthquakes, and things uh, even spiritually uh, constantly trying to attack you. And those things happen because of sin. It's not God doing it. It's that sin is happening. God is allowing it and ultimately, if we will trust Him, not only will He get us through this situation as He does every situation, but we will grow in each and every one of those situations. We'll come out stronger. We'll come out trusting God more. We'll come out with a better relationship with God, and we're going to be able to look as other storms uh, begin to Emerge in front of us. We're going to be able to look at that storm and say, I've been through things before and I've trusted God before and I'm going to trust Him now. And that's really what I want to establish today is a total dependence on God, a total dependence on Him. And I've preached this so many times and I feel like I need to do it again and I need to preach to myself today too, (laughs) that um, we cannot have a faith that is circumstantial. I'm going to say that again. We cannot have a faith that is circumstantial. Our faith must be not based on anything that we can see, feel, or know. Our faith has to be based purely in the fact that we trust God, that no matter what, we trust Him. We don't even know how it's going to work out. We, we're not even asking the Lord necessarily. I mean, we do in our minds. We calculate and we're thinking. And that's, I'm not saying you can't think about it, but that you are not basing your faith based on your thoughts. You can wonder. I don't recommend you do too much time wondering because you're going to drive yourself crazy you can ask the lord and then you leave it there and if he tells you if he gives you an answer it gives you an answer if he doesn't give you an answer then just leave it alone and just say to god I trust you I'm going to lean on you and that's it period and if you do that if you have a faith that is not based on circumstances you will have a much more fulfilled life although that's not ultimately what I want I mean I want you to have a fulfilled life I really do but you will have a god Life. You will have a Jesus-like life. Uh, we are the ambassadors. We are light reflectors, right? We are we are the reflection of God on this earth. We are meant to be the image of God on the earth, and so it's going to look like Jesus if we're doing it right. And that comes by not uh, micromanaging God and figuring out. Uh, everything that God is doing before we're willing to believe and willing to listen to Him. Amen out there. If you're listening, I need an amen from you. Uh, So there's a total dependence on God that He is looking for. And I love Proverbs 3, 5 uh, through uh, through 8. And uh, many of you out there, you know these verses by heart. I'm just going to read them. And this is the NLT, so it might be a slightly different translation, but the same heart here, which is just trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I believe that Jesus did this when he said those deathbed words that he had trusted with the Lord in all his heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. And I think that's a big deal right now, is we're trying to understand. And um, if you... Uh, go around and you pull all the different thoughts right now of what is happening right now and what this is and and where it's going to go and what it's going to be after, you are going to get so many different answers, your mind will spin like a top. So I don't encourage you to do that. We're going to have to just truly trust in the Lord right now. I don't think anybody truly knows and everybody thinks they know. And the Bible says that, that every man is right in his own mind, right in his own heart. Every man is right, and they're calculating, and they're like, well, I've got it figured out. They're close, they're close, but I'm right. And we just need to depend on the Lord. Do not depend on your own understanding. I'm depending on His understanding, and He hasn't told me fully what's going on. And those that say that He has uh, are saying things opposite of somebody else that says the Lord's shown him. And one thing just to note is that they might be looking at the same mountain but from a different perspective, that none of them may be wrong. I'm not calling anybody out there wrong, but I don't think anybody has the whole picture. That's the better way to say that. I think everybody out there who says this is what the Lord has shown me for this time or this is what I think is happening, they might be looking at 100% of their perspective. So, it's it's a full picture for them, but it's not the full picture. Only God knows. And so, right now, we need to depend on His understanding. In verse 6, seek His will. And this is such a key. It's easy to say, and it's easy to put this up on your wall as a plaque from Hobby Lobby. Seek His will in all you do, and He will show you which path to take. Your translation might be He'll smooth out your path, or He'll make your path straight. Um, but it's nice to say, and it's it's easy to quote, and it sounds nice. Um, but do we truly seek His will in all we do? Or do we go to God and get okays? Kind of like, uh, you know, your mom says, do your homework when uh, you get home from school, but you really want to play with your friends. Now, your mom's will for you is to get your homework done first, and then you can go play. And when you keep begging and begging and begging and begging and begging and begging, right? All the parents out there can picture your children, and all the all the parents young at heart can remember being a child, doing that to your parent. And finally, the mother says, you can go out and play first, but that wasn't really her will, and then you come in, now you're exhausted from playing, and you're a little too tired to do that homework, and uh, and now it's troublesome for you trying to do the homework. It's also troublesome for mom trying to help that child do the homework. So God sometimes will, uh, you know, we beg and we beg and we beg, and we can do things that wasn't His perfect will. It doesn't mean that it was necessarily deep, dark sin you're going to go to hell, but it makes things harder for your own life and also makes God, if if there's such a thing, but work on overtime. I don't think God works up a sweat, but He's working. He has to work overtime to try to fix the situation that you may have messed up and He loves you and He wants to give you grace and mercy and make things right, uh, but ultimately, There may have been a better way. So, are we asking His will and then just submitting to that will and not trying to constantly get the okay to do something that is not necessarily um, uh, life or death, Um, but I'm trying to get to the place with God, and this is what I'm trying to preach today, where I'm not asking the Lord for my will uh, to be His will. I want to get to the place where I say, Lord, I want your will to be my will. And let me explain that it sounds like a, um, uh, a trick uh, statement that I'm saying. I'm saying the same thing the other way. Maybe it doesn't make sense, but basically what I'm saying is, is I want God's will. I want, to, I want to change my thinking, change my day, change my plans, change my perspective based on His will and His perspective, rather than trying to make God's perspective fit into mine. Many times we have already established what we want. We've already established who we want to be and where we want to go. So we search His word for a license to do that instead of asking God for His perfect will for our lives personally. And I encourage you out there, if you do it God's way, you will be so much better off than trying to do it our way and then constantly repenting before the Lord and asking God to help you make what was not His perfect will. It was your will But He loves you and constantly trying to get back on track. Now, He will take you back every time. And if you're in that place, I'm encouraging you, today is a day to repent. Today is a day to get back on track. He will accept you back with love and with grace and without judgment. Um, But that's not really the perfect way. So if if you're in the place where you've already dealt with God and it's hard now because He's Uh, He's put you in a place that you don't want to be in. Or there are people in your life that He's asked you to love and you don't want to love. Or whatever it is in your life right now, I'm encouraging you out there to just do it and to trust Him all the way through the end of that process. All the way to the other side. And it continues in Proverbs 3, and verse 7, it says, Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And even though Jesus was the son of God, I believe that Jesus did not rely on his own wisdom. And that's really hard. I'm like splitting hairs here because he's still, he's Jesus. But I really believe that he feared the Lord. So fearing the Lord is true wisdom. There is a wisdom that we can get by making observations. When we grow, the older you get, if you've got white hair on your head, You may have some more wisdom than me because you've lived longer. You've made more decisions. You've made good ones. You've made bad ones. You've seen the result of those decisions. And so wisdom naturally grows in a person with age. But Jesus had a wisdom that was beyond because it was in the fear of the Lord by spending time with the Father and by looking with a heavenly perspective with no motive. I mean, this is so hard. It's so hard for us with humans to truly have no motives. But but for the Lord. Because even when we do things for the Lord, we have hidden motives. We don't even know it sometimes, but our hidden motives are people liking us and um people saying you did a good job or or you know or Or even people paying you for your job, even though you're like, well, I'm doing it for God. That's just a side benefit. But those things could be hidden motives inside us and we're not even aware of. And I believe that Jesus walked in the fear of the Father, the fear of the Lord. And so, He had a wisdom that was without motive. Truly, truly, truly without any motives at all, except just doing what God told Him to do. And it says in verse 8 i thought this was good to include this for today usually when we read proverbs 3 you know everybody quotes 5 and 6 but i thought this was so good to include verse 7 and into 8 for this morning because it says then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones the new king james says it will be health to your flesh and strength to your bones. So I thought that was relevant today if you want healing, if you want health in your body and strength. Who needs some health and some strength right now? We're trusting God. I pray that uh, you just you want it proactively and you don't need it today because you're already sick, but I just I pray for you if you are and I pray that the Lord heals you right now in Jesus name. But otherwise for us that are just trying to stay healthy and to have a strength. Uh, The Lord tells us in the book of Proverbs that if we will trust Him and we'll seek His will and we won't rely on our own wisdom, but we fear the Lord, then verse 8 is kind of a conclusion of those verses. It's telling us if you do that, there's going to be a strength inside you, a health to you. There's going to be a health. It goes beyond your natural flesh. There's a supernatural strength and a supernatural health to you. You will live a life that is fulfilled. You will have a fulfilling life. And um, it truly, again, comes down to depending on the Lord. That's basically what this is saying. It says to not depend on yourself, but depend on the Lord. And there's a, a few things we can say uh, a little bit deeper. And basically, um, Jesus is, is asked, uh, I just want to go to the book of Matthew chapter 4. If you have your Bible, Jesus is asked a question here by Satan. And so if you have your Bible, I want you to read this with me. It's Matthew chapter 4. And we'll start here with verse 1, just to get some context here. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For forty days and forty nights he fasted and became very hungry. Now, again, I thought this was interesting. Uh, In this nation... We're not uh, starving like this. Many are, but proportionally um, to our society, there is somewhere to get food. If you're hungry, there's a way to find it. Even homeless, we have many, many, many homeless shelters and many organizations out there feeding the hungry. Some nations don't have anything. There is. If you are hungry, you're hungry. Um, But I thought it was interesting to look at this verse during this time, where food has become a big focus of society. If you're staying home, you have a few priorities, and one of those is food. So, Jesus, though, had become hungry, he was fasting, he had been 40 days and 40 nights, and this signifies the time where the Israelites should have trusted God for the 40 years, and they did not. So each day and night represents a year that they did not trust God and they did not rely on him the way that he asked them to. They complained, they murmured. But here we are, Jesus is going to complete some things. He's going to turn that animal sacrifice that human condition that always fails and and always falls short of God's glory. He's going to turn that thing around and he's going to become the sacrifice and become uh, an entrance for us into God's presence that will help us bypass that human condition that cannot seem to make it past our own, our our flesh, Uh, just to kind of sum it up. That's another sermon, but they, they had flesh in the wilderness, if you know what I'm talking about, the, the Israelites, they are delivered out of Egypt. They relied on their flesh instead of relying on God. So, every time that they were hungry, they didn't know what to do except just to be hungry. So, it says that Jesus, though, Jesus handles this situation differently. And this is where I want to get to. It says, During that time, the devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No, the Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. You may know it as man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. I think this verse is so significant. Uh, These next verses ahead of it, uh, after this one, um, continue to have uh, a similar picture, which is that Satan asks them a question, and Jesus responds uh, by trusting God, by trusting the Word of God by quoting the Scriptures back to Satan. And finally, Satan leaves him in verse 11. Uh, But I wanted to focus on this verse here, because Jesus has power. If any of you are out there thinking about Jesus through the four Gospels and the things He did, and even John wrote that if we wrote down everything He did, we wouldn't be able to contain it in books There's just too much. He did so much on this earth. Um, So, if we're thinking about Jesus, who did not lack in power, and yet he resisted using his power that he had in him to do something for himself at a time of need, Because he had discovered something that I am desperate. Uh, I've tasted it and I've gotten close to it, but I'm desperate to get to this place to the fullness that Jesus did. And I pray if you are out there listening, that you are just as hungry for the bread that God gives us, not bread of this earth, but a bread that Jesus is talking about here that is so sweet to the to our taste buds and it's so fulfilling that you do not need this earth this world cannot satisfy nothing in this earth will ever satisfy like God can and wants to in our lives he said People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had discovered something. Jesus was lined up with the will of God. Jesus was led by the Spirit into this position that he was in. And he was leaning on the Spirit of the Lord. He was leaning on God and trusting in God. And even though he had the power to do something in his own strength, I believe he was able to turn those stones into bread because he did many miracles that were much greater than turning stones into bread. He multiplied the bread and the fish to feed Potentially a crowd of, if you include the women and the children, 20,000 plus people from a small basket of food. And so, Jesus was not without the ability or the power, but he was submitted to the Lord's will. And Jesus made a decision that I think we all have to make. And if you think you've made it, like I think I've made it, ask the Lord again To make this commitment even greater. And that is that we do not live by our own strength. We do not depend on our flesh, upon this earth, upon what it can offer us, and the fulfillment that it gives us that is temporary. But we have decided... To be fulfilled by the Lord. This is by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus had consumed the word, had consumed the word of God. And we're so thankful that the word of God is not just words on pages, but that Jesus is that living word. Hebrews chapter 4 talks about the living word. And yes, The scriptures are alive, but it's not just talking about words on a page. It's talking about Jesus. Jesus is alive and he is working alongside of us. He's working in us, helping us to live out our lives. And that is what Jesus was talking here. And now the significance to this verse is because Jesus uh, fulfilled something here that humans uh, could never do. And I want you to look with me, uh, if we're going to go with Matthew chapter 4, I want to go over to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8. And if you look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, this is so significant that Jesus says those words and he completes the mission. He says those words, and He was able to do something that no one had ever done before. People had tried. Uh, Every single man or woman on the earth, whoever uh, pleased God in many, many areas of their lives and lived righteous lives still had failures and faults. And God looked past those failures and faults because of His grace but they were still with fault. Whereas Jesus, it says, did the will of God without sin. The scriptures say that he did it without fault. He was without spot or blemish. If you understand that Passover lamb that Jesus was, without spot or blemish, he did it purely. He gives us the picture of a person who has truly decided that God is all that they need. And it's it's hard for your human mind. If your human mind out there is saying uh, some questions right now of what I'm saying, and you're trying to figure out, well, I'm still humanly hungry. Can I eat today? Can I have a human meal today? And that's obviously not the point I'm making. Of course, you can have a human meal. I'm talking about this place that Jesus got to with the Father, led by the Spirit, that we can actually get to, where this earth just has nothing on you. There is nothing in this earth that will truly fulfill you. And even in a place of starvation, a place where you could make something from this earth to bring a fulfillment, you have learned that that will only satisfy you temporarily. And that there is not real satisfaction. It's not true satisfaction. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, we have the picture of the human side. Jesus is the God side, Jesus is the perfection side, showing us this this, uh, picture. But in Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says in verse 2 Remember how the Lord your God led you through the wilderness? For these 40 years, humbling you and testing you to prove your character. So Jesus walked those 40 days to be humbled and to test his character. And Jesus won. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Jesus, that you won. I thank you, Jesus, that you made it and that the devil left because he had nothing on you. He couldn't get you. Couldn't get you that day. And I thank you, Jesus, because you finished your your mission and you set me free from my sin. And if you're out there and you're hearing those words and you want to say amen, don't be afraid to say amen wherever you're at. Uh, But God said in Deuteronomy chapter 8 that for the children of Israel here, right, the Israelites in the wilderness, that for those 40 years, he humbled them and tested them to prove their character and to find out whether or not you would obey his commands god's not testing their character to see okay let's see what you're gonna do let's see uh, how well you do and he's got a chart out and he's he needs and he's checking off you know check marks on okay well they did this they didn't do that they did this they didn't do that That's not even what he was talking about. If you truly understand the whole picture, the whole Old Testament picture that really leads right into Jesus, to sum up the entire Old Testament, right up to the Gospels, is really this. It's a people that God did everything for, and every time they messed up, God delivered them. They repented, they cried out, and he delivered them, and yet they got themselves back into that position again. And there he was to deliver them again after more repentance. And finally, Jesus comes on the scene to cancel out the uh, constant back and forth uh, from humanity. He canceled out that need uh, for the human to try to do something that he could never do. And Jesus did it, fulfilling what we really could never do so that finally what God was able to do through Jesus was if we will link with Jesus, Jesus says to yoke with him. And that picture is when they used to plow with oxen, it was in pairs of two. Okay, so it was two oxen together, a pair. It was not just one oxen plowing the field, but they would put the two together. And obviously, I think it's self-explanatory that there would be more power with the two, and they could do more work. And obviously, if we yoke with Jesus, uh, we will be able to do. It's kind of a joke because what are we really doing to help him? We're just uh, the we're the human part of him on the throne. We're the we're supposed to be the exact replica, the reflection of him uh, on this earth. And we cannot do that in our own strength. We cannot do that. We can only do that. When our strength is gone, when our understanding is nothing, when our knowledge is nothing, when we don't think we know anything, you have to get to the place where you don't know anything, you don't have any motive, you don't have any strength, but you are relying on Jesus to, that, to, to the uh, fullest, you have yoked with Him. And that is what God was able to do through Christ for us so that now we, when he tests our character, he looks through the blood of Jesus. He looks through the grace of Jesus. And so, he says in verse 3 in Deuteronomy 8, yes, he humbled you, letting you go hungry and then feeding you with manna. And I thought this, I just wanted to talk about manna this morning, just or, or today, or whenever you're listening to this, I wanted to talk about manna just for a few minutes, because I think it was such a significant part of God's Word, because it was a supernatural food. It was the bread that Jesus said, you don't know anything about. You don't even know what I'm talking about. Uh, Satan, you're confused. You're looking at me saying, you know, you're the Son of God. You can do anything. You have the strength. You have the power. Go ahead, prove yourself. Go ahead, prove it. You get into your own strength. That's what the devil's always going to try to do, to get you to to get your eyes off of God, get you into your own selfish motives, into your own self, and to try to fulfill something in your own life. The whole world is obsessed with, uh, at least the Western world that I'm a part of, is obsessed with my needs. Uh, This is how I feel. This is what I need. This is what I think. I, 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 I. And, And it's self, 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 self. And yet, Jesus had a, had a manna. There was a manna. It, was, it says in Deuteronomy 8.3, it was a previously unknown food. And he says, he did it to teach you. And here's the verse that Jesus quotes. He did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of of the Lord, so just to make it clear, if anybody out there listening is confused, he says we don't live by bread alone. So you are allowed to eat bread. You are allowed to eat. You can have a meal, unless you have chosen, you've chosen you're choosing to fast that meal, and give it to the Lord as a gift, or give it to the Lord and ask the Lord to do something in your situation. But otherwise, you are allowed to eat food for your natural human body. But you have come to the place where you realize that that's just a body. That that's not really you. That just like you feed that natural body, that there is a spirit inside you that is literally starving. It is craving fulfillment. It is craving a meal and and we're just we we cover it with so many things so many times that we don't realize it getting ahead of myself i want to get more into that in just a few minutes but i just want to read these verses to you first It says, he did it to teach you that people do not live by bread alone. Rather, we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And this is what Jesus was emphasizing, what they couldn't really fully do in Deuteronomy 8. Um, But he tells them that this is the key and Jesus lives it for us. And it says in verse 4, for all these 40 years, your clothes didn't wear out. And your feet didn't blister or swell. So, God uh, allowed a situation to happen. He allowed it. It says that He uh, let you go hungry, verse 3, but then gave you the solution. He let you go hungry, but then He fed you. And it says... Uh, Verse 12, for when you have become full and prosperous and have built fine homes to live in, and when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold have multiplied along with everything else, be careful. Do not become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. Do not forget that He led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions, where it was so hot and dry, He gave you water from the rock. Verse 16, He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. He did this to humble you and test you for your own good. He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. And that is precisely what Jesus was dealing with Satan. He had come to the place where he was not going to try to rely on even What could be even God-given, even God-given, I mean, uh, God even entitled power inside of him. He had decided not to rely on his own strength or his own energy. He would not achieve anything. He would not feed himself selfishly. Even though he was hungry, he had decided to listen to the will of God even to the place of complete and total denial of his natural needs, not because God was trying to make him suffer, just as he's not trying to make you suffer, but he had a fulfillment inside of him that was greater than his natural human needs. And we truly have to ask the Lord to help us in this area We cannot do it without Jesus. Jesus did it. He fulfilled it. And we can read in John chapter 6. I'm not going to turn there just for time. But John chapter 6, Jesus tells us that he is the real manna. Because they questioned him and said, do a miracle for us. Moses gave us manna. He said, Moses didn't give you manna. God gave you manna. And I'm that manna. I'm the bread of life. If you eat me. And drink, you eat my flesh and drink my blood. Jesus said, you will never be hungry and never be thirsty. I think for many of us, for Christians and non-Christians, I'm going to group us into one category. We uh, think we know, we think we understand, Christian or non-Christian. We think we understand things so many times that we really don't. And we think we have wisdom that we really don't have. And we think we have strength that, even if we have it, that we shouldn't have. Because we should be relying on Jesus. And I think that we should all come to the place. Non-Christian, it's time to repent. It's time to come to the Lord. It's time to surrender. It's time to, to uh, eat that manna that is supernatural Eat the bread of life that is supernatural, Jesus Christ Himself. To truly repent and give your life to Him, and to the Christians out there listening to this, it's time to surrender. Even the little tiny things, even uh, things where you have the power within yourself. You have a power within yourself to do things for yourself, and you could satisfy, and you could you could fill your time, and and you could you could do so many things with a strength that. Uh, is even God-given inside you. But you have chosen not to use it for yourself. But you're going to use it for the will of God. So I'm just going to say some last words here. And I'm going to go ahead and just read them. If it sounds a little a little bit verbatim, I'm just going to read some things I wrote here to close. Um, we need to learn to depend on God for a supernatural manna, Jesus is the true manna. And I said it before, I'm going to say it again. We are starving. Your spirit man is so hungry. It is starving inside you. And we can fill that hunger with the world. Yes, some people say we can't. Nothing can fill it. I believe we can fill it. But here's the thing. You can fill it. But when we fill the hunger in our spirit man for manna, when we fill it with experiences, with temporary satisfactions, we satisfy our needs, our desire for purpose and fulfillment with tasks and busyness and with human goals. We live in an instant microwave society. Whatever we want or think we need. Uh, We can buy or we can work towards. But there is, in fact, a temporary fulfillment. It's a temporary satisfaction in our human endeavors. If you fill that place inside of your spirit, man, this is for Christian and non-Christian alike, with things of this world, with doing and busyness. Remember even Mary and Martha, okay? They both knew Jesus and they both loved Jesus, but but there was a, a lesson that Jesus taught there that we must sit at His feet. There is working and things need to get accomplished in our day, but the most important thing that we could ever do is to be with Jesus, is to have a fulfillment from Him and Him alone. Because just like we crave for our next meal, we're going to always be hungry for the next thing, the next goal, the next adventure. We don't even finish a vacation and we start talking about the next time we're coming back. But there's a starvation in our spirit and it's only recognized when all the noise quiets you might hear the spirit calling when you lay your head down at night or during a hard time like the one we're in. We realize that there is no fulfillment or satisfaction from this world. This place is temporary and it can never truly give you what you feel you need inside you. That sense of purpose, that sense of doing and being and busyness and accomplishing and a name and and so on, all of these things that the human craves for. Jesus had come to a place where he had eaten of the manna of God. He had eaten of food, uh, that the word of God that gave him a perspective that is higher. It's above this earthly perspective. And there's this starvation in our spirit. But uh, it's humbling to have our security removed. It's for our good that false security is removed. As we read in Deuteronomy 8, it's for our good that false security is removed. And I'm not saying that God is doing this right now, but a sense of security it was a sense of false security has been removed from us in this time. Suddenly, what was normal is now completely backwards. We don't even know what normal is. We're questioning it. We're searching it. And I don't think you should even waste your time doing that. But you should spend some time getting before the Lord. The Lord will work this out. And it says, actually, I'm, rather, I'm reading what I'm saying. I said, when the world... And its resources were removed from our lives and other people's lives. People begin to say, what now? We're hungry. And when we're hungry, we work hard and are rewarded with food. Um, And it's almost like when Israel was in Egypt, they were rewarded by Pharaoh And their master fed them when they worked hard under his whip and excelled. But the Israelites had all their security removed. When God rescued them, they also lost their security. Even though it was under the whip, they were secure. And suddenly, their questioning was pointed in the right direction. And even though we also read that they murmured and they complained. God showed them that he would provide for them. If they would trust him and rely on him, he would take care of them all the way to the promised land. The book of John tells us Jesus is that manna and water. I think people truly receive the gift of Jesus when they are truly empty. They don't want anything from this world anymore. They're not interested in the rewards that are temporary and that only come with submission to this world system and its whip at their back. When we truly find our fulfillment in Jesus alone, we're truly filled by Him. We will be able to stand in our times of human need and human confusion, and human questioning, and we'll be able to say, it's going to be okay. God has a plan. I don't know how He's going to do it, but He has proven Himself to me, and I know He will come through this time, just like He always has before. I bless you, and I pray for you. Dawn and I, we love you, and uh, we hope to see everyone soon, in person, in the flesh. Uh, but in the meantime, we just encourage you to keep seeking His face, uh, keep getting into your Word, and uh, reaching out. You can text, I mean, there's so many ways. You can do old old man stuff like emailing. You can Facebook, you can do all your different social media things, of Instagram, and, and I can't even keep track, and Snapchat and whatever to your friends. Uh, send a message to someone encouraging them today. Just because you're, you're, maybe you're stuck and you can't go anywhere and you feel like you can't do anything, there's plenty that we can do. You can be praying for them and you can be sending them encouraging messages. Uh, if you know someone who's serving out there on the workforce to to stop this thing, then send them an extra special message and encourage them and pray for them. And with that, I bless you and uh, we love you. We'll see you soon.